Fellas, marry up, okay? Marry up. If you learn nothing from me, there we go. Um, no, but uh, we're going to be continuing once again with our Acts series. We're in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Um, we breaked a little while uh, over the holidays and um, got focused on some other things, and um, now we're getting locked back into doing the series on Acts. So um, will you open your ears, your hearts, and your minds to Bethany? Thank you. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, just want to commend our team just for their flexibility in a very, yes, uh, a very unexpected change. So we had to, poo- we had to pivot and move very quickly. And Daryl and I were in the midst of travel and ministering and things. Um, and also we just want to thank uh, the Eiflers definitely went above and beyond. So this morning would have, yes, you can applaud. We would have, it would have been chaotic, I'll just say that, without their hand in the details of things that Daryl and I could not um, execute. So thank you so much for your help. We appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> my throat is really dry. <clears throat> and if you were here first service, I did the message in 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I talked really fast. <laughs> I do in general anyway, but I just like went and fast forward. Um, there was definitely a lot of content we didn't cover, but if you know me at all, a 15-minute message is actually like hilarious because um, I struggle to do a 45-minute message <laughs> and keep it brief. So <laughs> um, don't get scared. Don't get scared. You will still be out of here on time. And yeah, I'll just tell myself I still have 15. <clears throat> um, but if you want to turn to Acts chapter 6, Like Daryl said, we are picking up our series on the book of Acts. So prior to the holidays, we actually covered Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 5. Um, And for those of you that aren't familiar with Acts chapter 6, this is actually where um, the seven are chosen to serve. And this is actually where um, we take a close look at Stephen. So everybody say Stephen. 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 Um, So we're going to be looking at the life of Stephen today um, and basically extracting um, what we can learn from Stephen's life um, and and what we can learn from his example. So in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, it says, now in those days when the numbers of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We're going to pause right there because there's kind of a lot that we need to understand before moving forward. First and foremost, um, for us to understand that you may have heard different things pertaining to this passage of scripture, but when you study it out, it really is not clear. Some people will basically say it's an issue of injustice, and they weren't valuing these Hellenistic widows, and, um, and so it was kind of a divide within the church that way, which you can look at it that way and apply it that way. Um, there's others that basically say what this actually speaks to is the fact that the workload was just too much for the apostles. It wasn't an, an intentional neglect um, that was taking place, but more of an oversight. Just how many of you guys know when you have too much on your plate, something gets dropped, 
Um, and it's not because you desire to do that or want to do that. It's just because you can't handle it all. Um, and I tend to adopt that belief because when it was brought to their attention, they were so quick to rectify it. They were so quick to look for a solution. There was no justifying, excusing, any of those kind of things. They found an immediate solution. Um, and so I tend to think that that reveals the heart posture is what is the solution to this problem? So in that, first and foremost, the neglect of these wi widows in the daily distribution. Also with that, you find that it's, it's specifically talking about the business that these seven were going to be elected to do. And this is where we also need to pause and talk about this because basically the apostles were saying that they shouldn't be taken from the word and that they shouldn't be taken from prayer. And so they needed to delegate this work to, to this group of seven. One thing that we need to pause and just take note of is that they were doing this work prior. And basically because, and it, the scripture is very clear, because the disciples were being multiplied, so at one point it was part of their job description. It was part of what they were doing. They were doing this task. And because of the multiplication of people, because of the growth that was taking place, they no longer could fulfill all of those needs. So the need demanded that the weight be distributed. Now with that, we, we hear this as the serving of tables. And so immediately in our American mindset and culture, we think of like waiting tables. And in our culture, we think of that as almost like a lowly job description of kind of like the bottom of the barrel, it, like if, you're, if your other job isn't working out as your backup plan, you'll go wait tables. Like that'll just be, you know, we classify it as that. But what we need to understand in scripture, first and for foremost, the apostles were doing this job. This is a job that they had and they had taken. Number two is that in this culture and in this time, the serving at the table was done by the head of the household. So it was a place of authority and a place of responsibility. It wasn't something that was relegated to the least that was among us. That's why we find at the Last Supper, it was Jesus that distributed the elements that were there because it was that posture of that the head was the one that would administer and serve and give. And, but also, we need to take note that when you really study this out, that scholars basically say, we're thinking of like the serving of tables and giving out of food, but when they're talking about the distribution, there is a very big question of, it may not have been physical food that they were giving, it may have been the distribution of finances. The distribution of finances to these widows and these people, because as we know in the book of Acts, they were gathering all of their resources, all of their possessions together. They basically were selling so that there could be financing and then giving to others. And so this was an issue, and we actually find Luke says this in this passage of scripture, um, whom we may appoint over the business. It was, an, it was a business matter. It was, it was actually, and when it says that they needed men of wisdom, it was because it required wisdom in order to handle this matter. So we kind of need to adjust our thinking. Like lots of times when people look at it, it's like, oh, there's the 12 of apostles and then those people that did like the drudge work, like the seven that like almost became kind of the workhorse and, you know, the donkey that schlepped the, like we relegate it to something that it absolutely is not. It's saying that it needs people of anointing and it needs people of character and good, it said even good reputation because they were going to be handling the financing, finances and then distributing it. So we kind of need to understand the context of what's being said here. And then it's actually in this passage that we find that Stephen comes on the scene because it says, and, and, and the saying pleased, this is verse 5, the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to list the other six that are chosen. Everybody say Stephen. <clears throat> it says of Stephen specifically, and he's the only one that they're, they're mentioning and making note of, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just say like he had a portion of faith. It uses the word full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I want you to actually take note of that word, like being filled with faith in the Holy Spirit. The word filled means to be utterly and thoroughly permeated. Do you know what the word permeate means? It means like to be completely saturate. To permeate something means that it is completely, not only filled, but it would be kind of like if you came into the room and it wasn't just like a pocket of the room that smelled like something, that there was like an overwhelming like scent in the room. If it, it was something that permeated. It means that every part of the room is filled with that scent. It's also a great description of the word permeate is if you take a... a a dry sponge. You guys all know what a, a dry sponge. It's hard. It's crinkly. But if you then immerse that sponge in water, it, like the whole thing becomes just absorbed with water. That water just permeates every part of that sponge. And so what we find here is, he, is Luke is making note that Stephen was a man filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. And it goes on actually to say, and then the word of God, verse, verse 7, and then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. <clears throat> verse 8, and this is actually where we find the beginning of the accusation. Um, so in verse 8, and for time's sake, we're not going to read through all of it, but basically what happens is there arose um, amongst them from the synagogue that, that they began to basically dispute with Stephen. And their dispute with Stephen is, number one, the, the two charges that they had against him is they felt like he was dishonoring Moses and the law, and he was dishonoring the temple, that basically he was being irreverent. We're going to look pretty closely at Stephen's um, answer to them. And basically, as you look at his answer, you find that basically their discrepancy with him was both true and false. There's truth to it in the fact that he basically was not idolizing those things, that he was not reverent of those things in the sense of holding them um, in high regard, that everything needs to be built around them. He saw them as they were a piece of Judaism, but they were not the centerpiece of Judaism. And so we'll find that actually in his, in his response here. Um, but it says in verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and great signs amongst the people. This is in verse 8. So basically, this dispute is, is, is raised against him, but it's making note that Stephen was doing great signs and great wonders amongst the people. You know, first and foremost, before we move on, on to him and the answering of the arguments that were against him, we have to take note that basically you have the 12 apostles, and then you have these seven that were basically taking care of the business of distributing to the widows and to those in need. But then here you find Stephen, who regardless of his job description, that he didn't get the title of the apostle, we find that he's full of faith and power and he's doing signs and wonders. What does this say about Stephen? And honestly, what does it say about each and every one of us? Because most of us can identify with when we have been, and I'll use the word relegated to something, that we don't feel like it's our rightful place. 
or we feel that somehow it's lesser in position or title or influence or importance than other people. I mean, you can see that in work. You can, you can even see that in school, that you know that you're an intelligent person. You know that you have capabilities. You, you, you just don't feel like you're being noticed and recognized for who you truly are. But somebody else is being endorsed. Somebody else is being praised for. I mean, there are so many. Let's just be really honest. Moms can really struggle with this. Because there's such a place of hiddenness that instead of being kind of at the forefront and doing everything that you know is in your heart to do and that you're capable of, you're cleaning up, you know, poop and, and pee and puke. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's just such a degrading. <laughs> and as much as motherhood is a privilege, there's a place where sometimes you feel like, I could be doing so much more. But you know, that place of motherhood, we all can identify with that where we feel like we are capable of so much more, there is so much more inside of us, but yet either someone or some circumstance, some of us, it's not even a person we feel like is kind of holding us back or limiting us. We feel like circumstance. If only my circumstances have been different. If only I was born into a different family. If only if I was given different opportunities. If only this, if only that. But what do we find with Stephen? He doesn't take the posture of, oh, I'm not one of the apostles. All I'm doing is distributing the wealth. He does not use his circumstance as an excuse for living a life without passion and without power. But instead, in the very place where he's been called to serve, he manifests the full weight, the full power, and the full ministry that the apostles did. And what does that speak to us? It speaks to all of us that regardless of your position or your posture in life, you cannot use it as an excuse. Because ultimately, the same Holy Spirit that is accessible to, and I don't even know in our day and time who's like the big, when I was young, it was Benny Hinn. (laughs) I'm dating myself right now. Maybe, I think he's still on the scene. Um, But Bill Johnson, we all know he does signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, oftentimes, there's even those of us in this place that even like Stephen, for some of you in this place, the place of business is what God has entrusted to you. It's, it's, It's the dealing of finance He's entrusted into your hand the the, the power of finance. And in many ways, because you don't see it as a ministry gift, you're living your life bored and disconnected without passion and without the power of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, he has called you to the same posture, meaning inwardly, the same fellowship with the same Spirit of God, the same power is available to you. There's no limiting because of circumstance or title or position. Today, regardless of your position or your title, there is no excuse for you to be living without the power of the Holy Spirit. You are without excuse. The measure and the portion of the Spirit of God that you have and that you are walking in is directly related to you and your decisions. Not to circumstance, not to people, not to any man that has ever not called you out or not endorsed you. It has everything to do with what you have chosen and how you have positioned your heart. Because we all have the same power of God, the same presence of God available to us. It is a matter of what we are choosing to access and what we are choosing to live in. 
So instead of us using our circumstance or our position in life as an excuse of living powerless, we need to take off every excuse and say whether it's in the place of serving tables, and like I said to you, it wasn't even necessarily like the the waitress position that we were talking about here. He was overseeing finance and the distribution of wealth. But do you know something? Mindset is everything. Mindset is everything. Because if we choose to look at our circumstance, even if it is a noble high calling, but because of our limited thinking and perceptions of ourself in comparison, we, we limit it. We think it's more lowly. We think, do you know, oftentimes we're so fascinated with what we want, <laughs> what we think it should be, where we think we should be, that we're not even rightly stewarding what's been put in our hand. And oftentimes, instead of looking over there and, and, and at other circumstances, all God's saying to you is faithfully steward what I've placed in your hand. That you should be walking in the presence and the power of God with the portion that you've been entrusted. That whatever that is, rather than comparison and rather than minimizing what you have and what you've been called to, the place of you stand before God and God alone and do it with excellence and do it with all the strength and the power and the anointing that he has made accessible to you. So we find here, this is made mention of, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs amongst the people. And so this is where the dispute is made against him. And then we find, if you jump to uh, verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against against this holy place. So this is where he was speaking against, they're, they're accusing him of speaking against the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Verse 15, and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. I love this. Here's Stephen. You know, we have to understand something is right now what we're reading is an entire shifting in the New Testament church. Because prior to this point, Christians, even those that had received Jesus as Messiah and Savior, they were still going to the temple. They were still honoring and recognizing the Jewish law. But it was more that there was a continuation of it. And it was at at this point that it comes on the scene that somehow instead of it being the continuation of and there being continuity of that he basically came to fulfill that. We're not nullifying that. He's the fulfillment of that. At this point in time, they're pitting it, and this is where really enmity begins to take place. Because at that point in time, they weren't seeing Judaism and Christianity as separate religions. They were almost the same religion, but there was a a different expression that was taking place. They were still honoring the Jewish culture. And at this point in time, this is where it all begins to shift. This is where after this point, instead of going to the temple, they began meeting house by house. Because this is actually where we see that Saul, after this point in time, after this persecution, that he began going house by house to persecute the Christians. So we find in chapter 7, then the high priest said, are these things so? So now he's asking Stephen, and this is where Stephen begins. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. 
and said to him, get out of your country <laughs> and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. So number one, Stephen starts here with Abraham. So let me just say this to you. We don't have time to go through every single word and every single verse of uh, Stephen's response here. But what it's important to understand is that at this point in time, what Stephen begins to do is he, beget, he begins to unpack Israel's history for them. He unpacks it basically saying, you don't even fully understand. You have this allegiance to the temple, but the temple wasn't even originally a part of the law that Moses gave. Like, you, like you're, you're adhering to something. So he begins to lay out before them in great detail. He starts with Abraham, and he kind of lays out. And, you know, let's just take a pause here and just acknowledge that as he's speaking about Abraham, he really kind of lays out the promise that God gave to Abraham. But the very, very, very long delay in seeing the fulfillment of that pro promise. Just the journey that God takes Abraham and, and Israel on. And you know what's amazing is that when you read through this, to see the leadership of God, the way that God leads his people, it is never ever the way that we would chose, choose to be led. <laughs> it is never the way that in our intellectual and in our carnal mind that we would ba basically desire for his leadership. But then we find this is his leadership. This is how he led Abraham. And he goes through the patriarchs um, in Egypt. He, he goes through Joseph as far as even Joseph in Egypt and the uprising against Joseph. And then he goes through Moses. He's kind of laying all this out before them. But as he's laying all this out before him, he's basically laying it as a charge against them of saying this, this storyline that you can look back, and he's actually, what he's basically saying is, you don't even understand this history. You don't even understand what we've come from, but you also don't even understand that the very way that they rejected Moses is the same way that you're rejecting Jesus. He's laying it against them of saying the, the very law that you want to adhere to. And what he's ultimately doing is he's exposing that for them, that their, their rules and their rituals and their laws were ultimately unto, unto self-worship. It was unto what satisfied and what facilitated their own comfort and their own desires rather than looking at what God is saying and what God was doing. You know, the amazing thing here is that they were making an idol out of the temple. For them, it was like almost all about the temple. And they were also making an idol out of the law. What you find as Stephen is laying all this out before you is you begin to understand that from the beginning of time, God had a relationship with his people. And when you look at that relationship with his people, you can see how it progressed, how it changed, how it adapted, how there was men that he brought into the storyline, men that were used to display an aspect and a dimension of God. And then that's where we find the temple being introduced. And, and he's basically saying, you don't even understand. You don't even understand the ways of God, the nature of God, or even how he's led your people. He's also saying, you have this adherence and this devotion to the temple, but it wasn't even originally a part of the plan. And so if you're going to adhere to that, you need to understand that there's a continuation of what God is doing. There's a continuation of what God's doing. And this Jesus, the Messiah, is in full continuity with what storyline you want to adhere to from Abraham all the way until now. But because you don't clearly understand history 
and you don't understand the way that God, God has led, you right now presently are resisting, resisting the way God is leading. So Stephen lays this as a charge before them. <clears throat> Let's, for time's sake here, we have 15 minutes. I'm actually, um, there's a couple of points that I want to pull out as far as specifically the rejection of Moses. It's interesting because basically he's trying to highlight through all of these passages of scripture that the very rejection and the posture that they are taking against him and even against Christianity, it, and he's, he's basically taking the very thing that they're trying to defend and that they're holding to and saying, if you actually knew your history, this is precisely what you're doing today. You actually see in Acts um, chapter 7, verse 35, and then you see in verse 39, this is actually where <clears throat> Moses himself is rejected. Um, in verse 35, it says, This Moses, who, whom they rejected, says, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is this the one God sent to be ruler and delivered by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush? And then further on in verse um, 39, whom, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back in Egypt. So he's basically saying, like, you're, you're talking about your love and devotion for the law? Your people didn't even adhere to the leadership of the man that presented the law. They rejected what God tried to do through. So you, you continually kind of see this rejection. And he lays this out before him. And then you find um, in verse 51, this is after, um, this is the closing of Stephen's basically speech. This is one of the longest speeches you'll find in the book of Acts. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. <laughs> which of the prophets did you, sorry, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So this is actually where we find the culmination. Verse 54, then they heard these things. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they, they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. We're going to just pause there right now because this is what I want to say to you is when you look at, first and foremost, Stephen's response. Response when he's being misunderstood. Response when there's criticism against him. You know, over and over it's said of Stephen that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it, it does say that he did signs and wonders and that miracles followed, followed his life. But I want to ask you, what is the fruit of someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit? The fruit of someone like Stephen's life is that he was able to take scripture and rightly apply it in his circumstances. He was able to take the Israel's, he understood Israel's history better than the priests of that day. He not only understood it as information. See, this is where we need to make a transition. You might have information about the word of God. You might have facts and data and knowledge. But you haven't come to a place of applying it 
and internalizing it to the place of, now give me understanding. Give me, see, he understood. He understood the storyline of what was taking place. He understood God's part in the storyline and man's response to God. He could see the wisdom of God unfolding and that there was a continuation of what God desired to do. It was because that perception of heart that he was able to receive Jesus as the Messiah because there's a place of heart. And that's ultimately what we need is that place of understanding, not an intellectual understanding. Yes, we need to read the word so that we can comprehend and understand it, but it has to be a reading of the word that we can apply to our circumstance, apply to where we are at in the circumstances that we are in. You know, I, I've actually seen this played out over the past two weeks very clearly. We have a, a dear friend of ours, and he also serves on our board. And when I sent him a message two weeks ago, just a quick text. I, I wasn't planning on getting into great detail. I was like, just heads up. <laughs> we won't be at the Marriott. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you happen to see things through social media, we, we got, I, I basically said, we, we can't meet there any longer. We don't know what's next. And I definitely didn't paint it out as rosy because it's a close enough friend that I was like, <laughs> this is scary. Um, his response to me was, this is exciting news. When can we talk? I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I, Like, his response immediately was so enthusiastic. And he's a knowledgeable man. He's not an ignorant man whatsoever. Very knowledgeable and intellectual. And um, when I saw his immediate re reply, I, I thought, he thinks this is so exciting. He thinks this is great. And, like, <laughs> and then he goes on to say, this is how the Lord leads. I'm like, What? You understand something of God that I do not. <laughs> Unbelievable wisdom. But then actually when we ended up having a conversation, it's funny, this is actually comical too. I was on the phone with this individual and we were talking about, I was talking about the Eiflers really helping us and this was actually a, a phone call afterwards, but I was telling him about the Eiflers helping us and just all that they had done and he was like singing their praises and then when I got off the phone, I had notifications on Facebook and like all I see is my husband actually posting about the Eiflers. I was like, oh, as I was gushing on the phone with someone about like this transition would have been brutal if we didn't have the Eiflers. Like it just would be messy and awful and that was my phone conversation. Daryl basically was Facebook gushing just saying like, oh my goodness, thank God we have friends and leaders that... <laughs> can get in the trenches. But all of that to say, this marking of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I saw it so clearly this week in the, in the sense of not just a prophetic voice, but a prophetic voice that took scripture and laid out for me through conversation the way God leads. How oftentimes it, it's messy, it's inconvenient, and it wouldn't even be by our own choosing. We would never willfully say, I'm going to up and leave the Marriott. I, I just, that's, and so he kind of laid out for me in, in Israel's history as far as that place of sometimes even feeling like you're being driven by something or someone, and it's the hand of God that's allowing those circumstances because it's for your good, it's for your benefit. And you know, I, I love it. His exact wording was, even if the transition is tumultuous, I was like, hmm, that's a good word, tumultuous. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because Stephen just laid out the entire history of Abraham, the promise given to Abraham. Do you guys see the inheritance of him actually receiving his inheritance? That's a good word for it. It was tumultuous. 
It was, that was not an easy transition. He didn't just like dance his way into the land and the possession and the inheritance that God had called him to. It came through great struggle and great difficulty. And so there's part of it that we don't understand the nature of God. We have so limited him to our circumstance, my experience. That's the way I saw it before. That's the way. No, 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 no. He is so much greater. He is so much bigger. He is so beyond your comfort and your ability. He is so beyond your perception and your understanding. And that's ultimately what Stephen was saying to them is, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get it. It was the religious order of that day. And he was like, you don't even get this redemptive history. The very thing that you want to use as a charge against Stephen ultimately is a charge against them. And it lays against them the indictment that they do not know the God that they profess to follow. They do not know the God of that law that they profess to love and have devotion to. They don't know the God that they go to that temple to worship because their eyes have been upon those things instead of that man. And do you know what I want to say to you about Stephen? Is if you look at his life, that even, <laughs> even the way that his focus was not upon waiting tables in a position and a posture that he'd been limited to, he clearly had seen something far beyond himself, something far greater. That is ultimately why in his death, his eyes, he shone like an angel. Because even in his death, his eyes were not upon what man was doing to him. His eyes were not upon the persecution or how brutally to die by being stoned. His eyes weren't upon any of those things because he already had eyes that were so fully fixed upon Jesus. And that is why as a man that had been given a a, a posture and and a position of service, one of serving and administering business, He never got caught up in the business of doing those things. He was caught up in the spirit of God. And therefore, power and signs and wonders followed his life. But we find this even in his death. That he has a vision of Jesus. And he sees Jesus standing in heaven waiting to receive him. Do you know why I believe Stephen saw that? Because he had an understanding of the relational, of the relational God. He wasn't limited to the God of the law, and he wasn't limited to the God of the temple. He understood God's relationship with man, he, and he clearly understood it throughout Israel's history. And so then, even in that circumstance, he was not limited by the circumstance he was found in. He was caught up and caught away with a heavenly vision. You know, we have much to learn from Stephen, it just so happens that this, this week we, we're going to be going through Acts chapter 6 and 7. But, you know, I want to encourage us as we're going into this new year, let's learn from the life of Stephen. And when I say that, I'm going to say first and foremost, I don't care what position or posture you have been, um, and for some of you, you feel relegated to in life. That you're not getting to do the stuff. 
that you want to do or that you feel called to do or you feel limited or all of those things, I want to say to you, let's look at the life of Stephen and that regardless of that position and posture that God has called us to in that season, that we would not be limited by it, but that we would walk filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with faith and filled with power. Whatever your job title, whatever your position and your posture, that you would be like Stephen because there is, no, there is ultimately no excuse because of our outward circumstance. All of the power and presence of God has been made available to each and every single one of us. And I want to encourage you, stop using the circumstances of your life as an excuse. In any place that we have lack of God's presence and power, that's okay. We just identify it, acknowledge it, and come before him crying out for more. Acknowledge our need. Acknowledge your need. There is no place that you should be ashamed if you have a lack of the presence of God and the power of God. So clearly in Scripture, we see that God, he he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. We see all of Matthew 5 is basically a praising of blessed are the poor in spirit. If you can acknowledge that you're poor in spirit, because then the kingdom of God is yours. When you recognize your poverty and your need is the place where we can actually just begin. As long as we're living satisfied in our place of, of lowly living and lack of power, there's, ultimately there's no hope for us. Meaning, until we come to a place of brokenness and need. Because when we're satisfied in ourselves, we ultimately are in that posture of God resisting us because of our pride. We want to be in a posture of saying, God, I have need of more of you. God, my life does not look like Stephen's. If you're in this place today and you know your life, your heart posture, your position, your responses do not look like Stephen's. But in this new year, you want to take up the challenge that we would walk like Stephen walked, not be limited to our circumstances but grab a hold of all of the presence and the power of God that's been made available to us. Truly be people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and not necessarily by that means of just going from here to there and wherever the heck we feel led. Almost being, sometimes we think like being filled with the Spirit means I'm spontaneous. So because I'm like, I'm filled with the Spirit, so now I'm going to move here and I'm going to live there for a year and then I'm going to move here. No, 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 the Holy Spirit is not confused. (laughs) He's not confused. Let's be people that the mark of the Holy Spirit upon our lives is that we can rightly take the word of God and apply it to our circumstances. If you lack in the ability of taking the word of God and applying it to your circumstance, you need more of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So let's be people that read the word and not necessarily just for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of understanding what he's speaking to us and how it applies to our life. All right, if you're here in this place, we want to just close with a word of prayer. If you know in this new year, you want to take up the position and the posture of Stephen. You know that that has not been your reality, but you feel like God is calling you and challenging you into that place. I want you just to stand to your feet. We're going to pray over anybody, and then you can just, if there's someone around you standing, you can just extend your hands. Oh, everyone's standing. (laughs) So just touch the person next to you. (laughs) God, we thank you for your word. It's just such a gift to us. 
Your word is such a gift. You lead us, you guide us, you shepherd us, you correct us, you heal us, you align us, you feed us, you sustain us. God, we thank you, Father, for the beauty of your word and all that it reveals about the life of Stephen. Stephen, even as he was the very first martyr in the New Testament. God, we just say, Lord, as people today, and we confess before you, God, that Many times, God, we've used our circumstances, Lord, as an excuse. God, we've used, God, our position in life, or even just the limitations of feeling like we have limitations around us, whether that's because of jobs or finances, whatever those limitations may be. God, we confess to you, Father, that in many ways, God, we've used those as our excuses as why we are not walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask, Lord, that even as Stephen, Lord, even as he was not given a a title of an apostle, but he walked in all of the power and authority and signs and wonders of the apostles. God, we say we want to be like Stephen. God, we don't want to use our circumstance as an excuse for powerlessness. God, we don't want to use our circumstances as an excuse for our lack of passion. But God, I ask, God, that even as Stephen was able to take Jewish history and Jewish doctrine and just lay it out before these priests in such clarity and apply it to their circumstance, Lord, we pray, Father, that we truly would be people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we are able to look into the word and apply it to our circumstance. God, that we are able to know your word and perceive your spirit, to perceive your leading. Lord, I ask, Lord, even right now for every person in this place, God, that has approached your word of reading it for knowledge, but it has missed the sincere application. God, we thank you, Father, that your word transforms us. And so, God, we ask, God, that in this new year, Lord, that we truly would look into your word and be transformed I just want to encourage every person that's standing that even in this new year, that regardless of your track record or your history with Bible reading, regardless of your track record and your history with prayer, that you would just take a a specific amount of time, whatever that is for you, and when you open the word, not just to fulfill a, a certain amount of time of reading, but open the word and reading it and asking the Holy Spirit to encounter your heart. That's the powerful thing about the word, that as we read it, there there comes a softening of our heart. There comes an alignment of our perceptions. There comes an alignment to our emotions. 
And God, we ask, Lord, that, Lord, even as we see with these religious leaders, God, that they were using the, the tabernacle, they were using the temple and the law. They were adhering to those things, God, every place where Stephen ultimately laid the charge against them. That theirs was ultimately unto self-worship and not the worship of God. Lord, we ask, Lord, that any place, God, that in our devotion and even in our seeking of you, God, that for us, our, our, our vision and our focus, our desire and our ambition is ultimately unto self. But we are not a people that are focused upon the worship of God. Lord, we ask, God, for this new year, God, that there would come a greater alignment of our, our hearts, of our focus, of our ambition. Lord, every place, God, that we have been so self-focused and so self-absorbed. God, we thank you, Father, that, Lord, even as we enter into this new season, God, that we would make it the decision of our heart, the ambition of our life. Lord, to gaze upon you, to look upon you, and to see you in all things. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to encourage our community. Last week in the midst of worship, um, we felt a strong word that, the you know, obviously sometimes we, in the beginning of a new year, we take different postures of fasting and prayer, and we're completely for that. But really what we encouraged the community last week was 40 days of adoration. Because oftentimes in prayer, we're like seeking God for something, right? We're seeking God for a new job. We're seeking God for our child. We're, see- like, we're, we're like after something, right? We want like a specific breakthrough. And sometimes in that, our focus is not even upon God. And I can guarantee if you'll take the heart posture of one of adoration of I want to more fully adore you. I can guarantee that whatever breakthrough you may need, it may or it may not come <laughs> in the form that you want it. But you will have such a breakthrough in, on the heart level, on the emotional level, on the level of perception. And so even as we've looked at the life of Stephen, I think that this is one of his keys was this posture of adoration because it was all about Jesus. It wasn't about him. And that's why even in his stoning, the heavens are opened and he sees Jesus. Most of us would only see the face. You know, he ultimately, he even said when he was being stoned, do not hold this charge against them. Such Christ-likeness in the midst of pain and persecution. And so I want to encourage all of us that within the, the first few weeks of this new year, find moments throughout the day and find the heart posture of adoration. Adoration of the man Christ Jesus. And it will shift everything. Can we just put our hands together for the Lord and for his word?